This is the Plucked Chicken Podcast. Uh, but last week I felt like I uh, did you a disservice. Last week I felt like I let Barney, I let Tammy, I let many of you down. You're saying, Randy, what do you mean by that? Well, last week, what did we do? We, we talked about living by faith. We talked about giving God input on every part of our life. We talked about seeking God's will in the little things. We even said this phrase that you might want to write, uh, write on the top of your sheet, pray your way through the day. We, we talked about how if we'll give God uh, control and let him lead us in the little things, if we'll let God tell us what he wants us to do, where he wants us to go, in the little things that the big stuff will take care of themselves. I, we talked about if, if you'll pray your way through Monday and you'll keep doing it on Tuesday, that by the end of the week you'll have a great week. Why? Because you have walked with God throughout that week. And, and we talked about that last week. I challenged you on that. I encouraged you on that. And as I walked out of the pulpit, I felt like God was upset with me. Now, before we start getting into why God would be upset with this pastor, I have to go back to something he's already said. He mentioned how all of these examples of giving God everything, this somehow or another is what it means to walk by faith. But Pastor Bruss, is that what it means to walk by faith? This may be well what he means by walking by faith, um, and and you know uh, dogmatically or um, scripturally, you you talk about faith in really three ways. Actually, faith is first of all the faith that is proclaimed. In other words, it's an objective thing outside of you. It's it, it's the propositional statement of what uh, what God in Christ has done and what the Holy Spirit does. Okay, which so. is confessed in the Apostles' Creed, for instance. As an example, it's confessed in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, St. Paul does it in 1 Corinthians 15, which is... For what I received, I delivered unto you, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, rose again. Right, exactly. Which is the gospel. That right? is the gospel. That's the gospel proper. So that's, so that's one sense of faith. A uh, second sense of the faith, of course, is the saving faith that is worked in in the heart of the, the believer. So uh, where, for example, in Romans chapter 5, St. Paul says that Abraham believed him and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then, of course, there is the faith that is trust. And this is trust that is secondary to the, the faith that saves. No matter how strong or weak that secondary faith is, that faith as trust, you are not saved by that. You are saved by the faith that clings to the cross of Jesus, to the propositions of the faith that is delivered to you. So when you read scripture, you've got to make sure that you're disentangling uh, these three different definitions that show up all over the scriptures about what faith is. Now, apparently, he regards, he's focusing solely on this third kind of faith, faith as trust. We don't deny, certainly we don't deny, in fact, we, we, we roundly espouse the idea that people ought to live trusting the promises of God. But what this pastor is going to say, I think, is going to give an entirely new definition for faith. So, so not one of those three that, that we just sort of articulated here. It's kind of like a subset under three. Let's just let him play this out, and we'll see where he's going. Okay, and I already have my suspicions. Uh, I'm getting a sense that, that what you're doing as you're praying through the day is you're asking God for these minute little directions on a, on a minute-by-minute basis as to what to do. Let me emphasize that walking by faith as trust, that third kind of faith that we just talked about, 
is taking God at his word above all things. Uh, you know, a good example of this it w- would be this this increasing conflict that we see between like work and sports on the one hand and uh, attending church on the other. What is God's promise to, to his believers? It's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. And so it's the, it's the mom and dad saying on Sunday morning to their child, prior to the start of the season, look, son, it's fine for you to be on the soccer team, but uh, when it comes to Sunday morning, the first place we're going to be is church. Thereafter, you can go play soccer. We're not looking for God to give me an answer to, Lord, should I stop at this car wash and get my car cleaned up now, or should I do it two days from now? We're looking for an answer to, how do I serve my neighbor presently? And for this, I look to the Ten Commandments. I think you are going to be shocked at what this pastor is getting ready to say. And I was like, whoa, 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 God, what? I don't know if you are like that. I have a healthy fear of God, and I don't like feeling like he's upset with me. And I was like, okay, God, what did I do wrong? What? How did I mess up last week? He said, well, Randy. Okay, so now we are receiving direct downloads. A minute ago, you said something about how faith is trusting the word of God. Well, what he's receiving here and believing is this direct download that he got from God as he was coming out of the pulpit. Which is, uh, so that's when it happened. Uh, he got he got it then. Uh, there was a, a Lutheran pastor in northern Germany in the late 19th century who had a vicar to his house uh, who was going to preach the next Sunday morning. And he wasn't studying for a sermon at all. And, and this pastor said to him, Vicar, why, why aren't you studying for your sermon? And, and the vicar said, well, I'm, I'm going to wait till I get in the pulpit and see what the Holy Spirit tells me. And the pastor, the older, wiser pastor said to him, well, you know, son, I've, I've done the same thing. The vicar said to him, well, what did the Holy Spirit tell you? And he said, what the Holy Spirit said was, Klaus, du bist faul gewesen. Klaus, you, you, you've been lazy. <laughs> So this is the regard with which uh, Christians hold direct revelations from the Lord. Uh, We have his word written for us in the scriptures. This is uh, the whole point of the Theopneustia, the divine inspiration of scripture, 1 Timothy 3.16, right? All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in all righteousness. And this is where the Christian really has to begin and end, wouldn't you say, Pastor Kearns? Oh, no doubt. What are the dangers of, of seeking the guidance of the Lord apart from his will as it's revealed in the Holy Scriptures. My mind is racing with a a number of problems. Number one, we don't even know if this is coming from the Lord at this point or from the father of lies. This This is a big part here of testing the spirits. Well, how do we test the spirits? We can determine, like the Bereans, to open our Bible and see if these things be true. The other one is, is how one is so easily led by one's emotions or inner dialogue. I recall how in the town that we came from, a terrible story about a young boy that they didn't know he had some sort of tumor growing inside of his his tummy, and it was cancerous, and he fell one day and ruptured this tumor, and so now this cancer starts going full bore all through his body. And the doctor said he has one year to live. And even though this family, they were not members of our church, they were friends of members of our church. And so I somewhat felt obligated to to go and be with them at the hospital. I remember distinctly wrestling with myself of saying to this family, your boy's not going to die. Because I really did feel like, felt like the Lord told me this boy was not going to die. And I never told them that because I thought, how do I know? 
I mean, I want to tell him this. I feel strongly about this. I don't know if this boy's going to die or not. I am so glad that I never ever uttered a word about that. Because guess what? A year later, just like the doctor said, he died. It's false teaching. It gives false hope. There is no assurance because God doesn't speak like this to anybody else in his congregation. And so now you have to be the arbiter or, so to speak, the antenna to God. So we have to tune in to what you say as the pastor because God has got a direct download to you. Right. And and so, you know, this this is an interesting thing. There are two sort of two prongs to this. Number one is, is it contrary to Scripture? In, in other words, if I get a feeling and I'm sure that it's the Holy Spirit telling me uh, something and, and it contradicts God's word, well, then I've got a problem. And, and I'm assuming that, you, that your average everyday evangelical isn't going to go in that direction, but I would guess that there are problems that, that can emerge, and I'll, I'll talk about one in, in, a, in a little bit. Another problem is this, the direct download that goes above and beyond what God has revealed in his holy word. This is probably more like what we're talking about here, isn't it? If he's getting a direct download, then we need to be writing that down in the back of our Bible. I mean, we've got a couple clean pages. We need to be writing this down because this was Holy Spirit-inspired word from God. Exactly. And therein lies the, the rub on this, on this particular issue. Let's hear a little bit more okay. of what he has All to right, say. You're challenging them to walk by faith. You're challenging them to ask God's input on everything. You're challenging them to, to pray their way through the day. But Randy... Uh, have you ever taught them to how to hear God's voice? Okay, so this is really simple. The way that people are to learn how to hear God's voice is when someone reads the Bible. You're saying that this is the proper way. Correct. Yes, exactly. Or, or when the appointed ministers of God deal with the people according to Christ's command. This is the this is the other important thing. So. When your pastor is preaching, and his preaching is true, according to God's word, he's rightly dividing law and gospel, uh, pointing you to Christ where he may be found in the word and sacraments, then you are actually hearing the voice of God, right? You, you see your pastor's lips, but it's, it's the voice of Christ himself. You know, Lutherans would call this secondary inspiration, okay? So they would call the, the scriptures themselves as being primarily inspired. In other words, the words of scripture, the very, the very words, the individual words, have been verbally inspired by God himself. And what you read in your Bible was actually uttered by the mouth of God through the pen of Jeremiah or St. Paul or St. Luke, whoever it is. Which, if in the Lutheran service, this is the beauty of our response before and after the scripture is read. All right. So, glory to you, O Lord. Glory then, to you, O Lord. And then praise be unto you, O Christ. Because it's Christ's word, isn't it? Yeah. Even if, in the gospel lesson, Christ has not uttered a word. It is his word. Why? Because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And to say it's inspired by the Holy Spirit is to say it's inspired by God himself. Let's talk about secondary inspiration, though. Are the words of faithful teachers of the faith inspired? And the answer is yes. Are they hearing the voice of God? And the answer is yes. You know, this, he who hears you hears me, Jesus says. Now, that is broken. That, that hearing of the voice of Christ is broken as soon as there's false teaching involved. That is not the voice of Christ. That's the, the seed of the devil who is, uh, you know, planted his weed seeds in the field. 
and this guy here, he comes with these other revelations from God. Presumably, I'm just going to make a presumption here. They do nothing to contradict what God has revealed in his holy word, okay, in, in the scriptures as they are written. But I also don't have any means of verifying that they are the word of God. They're off topic, as it were. And uh, I'm assuming that's where he's going because of the way you looked at me like uh, on the question of should I get my car washed right now. God does not tell me when I should get my car washed. He says, take care of the things that I place into your dominion. Well, wait till you get a load of this. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever taught them to, to recognize my voice? God was like, Randy, if, if, if I even spoke to them... I didn't know God had such a stutter problem. <laughs> Randy, if I've... <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going a different direction with that. If I've ever spoken to them, well, he has, definitively, right? Uh, in in uh, former days, uh, God spoke to us uh, by the prophets of old, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Would they even know it's me? And I was just heartbroken. Because I was like, you know, I, I want Coy to, to, to walk by faith. I want him to pray his way through the day. I, I want him to follow God's leadership in every area of his life. Uh, I mean, we even joked about it a little bit this week that, you know, God's interested in what restaurants that we go to, right? Right, Pastor Bruss? Apparently. I, I think, he, well, it's, it's indubitable that the Lord would rather have me uh, eat at McDonald's than Hooters. For obvious reasons. But is he saying, Pastor Kearns, that the Lord has a choice for me between Taco Bell and McDonald's? You know, you have not even heard this sermon. He's going to say he's going to choose between Chick-fil-A and Taco Bell. Well, and, and uh, which one but, is he going to choose? Well, Chick-fil-A because it's Christian, I bet. Huh? Here's the thing. You can't choose Chick-fil-A on Sunday because they're closed. Ooh. So the Lord has already spoken. I see. <laughs> but then it's all up for grabs. Wow. I mean, he's interested in the little stuff. Now, sometimes he's like, you know what, go wherever you want to. But there are times that he wants us to give him input, to give him op his opinion about where we go eat. Like, for example, say you're you're trying to choose between two of my favorites, Taco Bell and Ch Chick-fil-A. Now, if it's Sunday, the choice has already been made for you, right? But say you're trying to choose between Taco Bell and Chick-fil-A. How would you know what God wanted you to do? And how would you know if he even cared what restaurant you went to? How would you know? I have no idea how you would know. This is so fascinating to me. There's an inability to distinguish. Uh, this, is, this is actually crazy. I'm certain that this guy's a decision theologian, right? That you must decide for Jesus. This is in your power to decide for the Lord Jesus. He is a semi-Pelagian at best. And here what we're learning is that, that the Lord has taken other decisions out of, out of, out of your life. So how is this that the, the, the uh, natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit, as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians on the one hand? So how is that the case? And then he's a decision theologian. And then how is it the case that the Lord tells Adam and Eve, Behold, I have given dominion to you over all flying creatures and so on which means that this is the area in which their will, their intellect, operates and has free reign. This is crazy talk. It gets crazier. And so basically the question is, how can we hear and know God's voice? Here's what's really sad to me. 
He is now going to begin to teach these people, and it is totally from his vain imagination as to how to hear the voice of God. He's going to put together this patchwork of scriptures that eventually is going to burden the people to be more mystic, that they need to stop, they need to quiet themselves, they need to get in a place of solitude so as they can hear the voice of God. And there are going to be people in this congregation who are genuinely going to try this. Some people are going to, air quotes, succeed in hearing the voice of God. And all of this is at the expense of taking their Bible and putting it off to the side. Which is the shocking thing here. And I I just turned to Psalm 119, the great psalm on God's word, God's law, and God's commands. Folks, if you're listening to this and you are being swayed by this guy, read Psalm 119. Every one of the words used there to talk about God's voice or God's message to human beings has to do with his written word. Well, read with me, if you would, in uh, John chapter 10, beginning with verse 24. It said, the people surrounded Jesus and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, if you are the Savior, tell us plainly. Verse 25, Jesus replied, I have already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. He says in verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. Do you get that? Did you hear what he was saying? He was saying that, you know what? This fact is something you need to hang your hat on. And the fact is this. God speaks to people all the time. God speaks to people all the time. Job thirty-three fourteen says, God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. What's he saying there? He's saying that God is constantly shouting at Jeremy. God is constantly shouting at Keith. God is constantly shouting at us, trying to get our attention. He's trying to speak to us, yet we don't recognize it. We're just not listening. You know, he's exactly right. He is exactly right. And I'm going to read a passage that proves that he's exactly right. This is from the parable Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus. You remember, of course, that the rich man would like Lazarus to be raised from the dead and go back to to his brothers and tell them about what life after death is like, that there is a heaven and there's a hell and that the rich man is in hell and in torment and that Lazarus is in everlasting bliss. Why? Because he trusted the, the, the Lord's promise. And he doesn't want his brothers to come there with him. Exactly. Here's what he says. I beg you, Father, Father Abraham, send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, now this is God talking constantly, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So God is constantly talking. According to Job, Job is exactly right. This is the inspired word of God. Where does God constantly talk, Pastor Kearns? In his church and through his word. (laughs) (laughs) Through his revealed word in the scriptures. Yeah, and see, what's funny is, is that this pastor is going to go on, and this is the typical evangelical schlock, 
in that what he is going to say is God has a still small voice. So he's going to go to the Isaiah passage here in a little bit, which I find very interesting because here he's saying on one hand that God is shouting. (laughs) And in a few moments, he's going to make the point that he only talks in a soft whisper. Some of you old timers may remember those radios. You know what I'm talking about? Those car radios where you had to turn it and your knob, right? 107.5 WKZL, right? But if you went to 107.4, you didn't get nothing. If you went to 107.6, you didn't get nothing. You had to be just right. And I'll be honest with you. I was always responsible in my brother's car to tune in the radio just right because you couldn't drive into it because you'd wreck. Because those old-time analog radios, I mean, they weren't digital at all. They didn't even think about digital. And so it was my job to tune the radio just right so that he could listen to his favorite radio station. Well, the if God's voice is like a radio station and it's constantly broadcasting, he's constantly talking to us, how do we tune in? Do you sense the burden that this is placing on the people? I do. And, and actually, the solution's relatively easy. It really is. Right? It's keep your devotion book on your on your kitchen table uh, for after-meal devotions or your Bible, whatever you use. And it's uh, come to church on Sunday morning. Right. Come to a Lutheran church. Well, and as we've already heard in several evangelical sermons, most of the times the evangelical pastor doesn't even read the scriptures. The scriptures aren't read before the sermon. It's all music. And then he stands up and he tells you what he's going to preach on or whatever series they're in. But he's not going to read the text. He might summarize the text. Yeah, and but he did here just read the text. And I think we got to give him credit there. But he, but he brought it in. Uh, well, I don't know if that's the text, right? This is just a proof text for whatever claim he's trying to make. Correct. And, and, and I agree with you. This guy is reading the text more so than most evangelicals. But my point is, is that most people don't even hear the text read. It's what Chris Rosebros wants to say when, when he says, if you want to hear God, read the Bible. If you want to hear God audibly, read it out loud. That's an excellent, that's a, that's a very, that's a really good way to put it. Or if you want to hear it audibly, if you want to hear God audibly, go to church. You know, uh, I, I want to go back. Uh, you know, he has gotten a hook in people here. All of this turns on John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What is the voice of Christ? What is this voice? And I think to understand what the voice of Christ is, we have to we have to locate that within the purpose for which Christ himself came into the world, which was to save sinners. And so the voice of Christ is that voice that he gives to the to the young man in, in, in Luke chapter seven, uh, the, the the dead guy on the beard. Uh, he says, "Arise." The, the the voice that that he that he gives is the voice that he speaks to the paralytic. Uh, your sins are forgiven you. The voice of Christ is receive the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins you forgive, they have been forgiven them. Whosoever sins you retain, they have been retained. And, you know, there is a clear voice of Christ. And nowhere in Scripture does the Lord Jesus even talk about where we should eat dinner. What you're saying flies in the face of everything that he's saying. Precisely. How do we hear God's voice? And how do we know it's God's voice when we do hear it? Well, look at your sheet. The first thing we got to do if we're going to hear God's voice is we must believe. We must believe. 
Remember what Jesus said in John 10, 25? He says, I've already told you, and you don't believe me. What's he saying? He's repeating Job 33, 14. He's saying, you know what? I've been talking to you. I've been speaking to you. I've been sharing with you over and over again. But you don't hear because you don't believe. Belief is the key to hearing. You're saying, Randy, what do I need to believe? What do I need to believe if I'm going to hear God's voice? If Stacy Keller's going to hear God's voice, what does she need to believe? Well, before we get to what you need to believe, we need to look at this fact. And the fact is this. The fact is far too many of us live like God's not with us all the time. Far too many of us live like God's not with us all the time. We believe that God's far off. We believe that God's distant in heaven and, and that we're in our own little cocoon. We're all in our own little world and God's not there. The only, the only time we believe that God's close is if we pray and we don't pray that much. So God's not with us that much. We're firmly convinced that God is not with us. But notice what Psalm ten eleven says. It says the wicked, I don't mind that word wicked, the wicked think God isn't watching us. He has closed his eyes and he won't even see what we do. Wow, do you see what he said? He said it is wicked, it is wicked for Melissa to live her life thinking that God's not in her classroom at school. It is wicked for us to go through the day living like God's not with us. It is wicked for us to drive down the road and think that God's not sitting in the car with us. Think about it, though. How many times you've been bebopping through the day? How many times have you gone through the day and you get to the end of the day and you recognize that you have been acting like God's not there? Yet God says in Jeremiah 23, 24, he says, Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in the heavens and on earth, says the Lord? What's he saying? He's saying no matter where we go, no matter what we do, God is with us. Of course he is. He's ubiquitous. Uh, there's no argument uh, here. I think what we're talking about, though, is the special presence of God, uh, his, his saving presence. The salvific presence. Right. And uh, when we talk, want to talk about the saving presence of God, the best place to go is uh, the very two last verses of Matthew. So uh, you know, let's just put this into context for people. Matthew starts off with the angel telling Joseph and Mary that the, their son should be called Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins, he's to be called Emmanuel. Why? God with us. How is God with us? He's with us in the flesh of Jesus. So we go to the end of uh, Matthew 20, 28, very last two things. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and God has been with us. This is what the disciples are saying. And now, God is going away. How does this work? How is God fulfilling an eternal promise? Well, Jesus tells us, says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, how? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And voila, that's what lo means. Lo or behold, voila, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is the Lord with us? He's with us through his word and sacrament. His word proclaimed in his name, his word written in black ink on white pages. Right. I mean, this is why you and I both are always leery when someone says something to the degree, I can have church on my boat, or I can have church out on the golf course, or I can have church. I mean, to see the sunrise and to be outside is just, that's where my church is. I, I get it. It's a That's a nice place to be. But God is not there salvifically right. there. for you in those places. Precisely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's there watching over you. He's guiding you. He's protecting you. His holy angels are with you. There's, there's absolutely no question about all of these things. 
And the scary thing is that this leads, what this kind of proclamation does, and I think there are a lot of Americans who believe this. Would you agree? Yes. If I can talk to God anywhere and God can talk back to me, then I really don't need to be in church. In fact, it's way better because church, frankly, is sort of inconvenient. In other words, it takes them away from the real voice of God, which is his holy word and the proclamation of Christ. You're saying, why is that important? Because of this truth. The truth is this. The first step in hearing from God is to believe he's always with us. The first step, if you truly want to tune into God's radio station, if you truly want to hear from God, the first step in hearing from God is to believe he's always with us. We got to be like David in Psalm 139, 7 and 8. He says, where can I go to get away from your spirit? Where can I run to get away from you, God? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. Again, God's just reminding us over and over again he's, that God is always there and he's always talking and he's always ready to listen. And when I see those verses, those Psalm 10, 11, when I see Jeremiah 23, 24, when I see Psalm 139, you know what happened to me? I was like, you know what, God, I need you to give me an undeniable awareness of your presence. God, help me to never go a second without realizing that you are not there. Lord, free me from the delusion that I can go to work. Free me from the delusion that I can go to the movie theater. Free me from the delusion that I can go anywhere online and you are not with me. Oh God, please give me an undeniable awareness of your presence. Some of you right now, you're saying, Randy, how can I stop sinning? There's this sin that defeats me every week. I feel good on Sunday, but by Sunday night, Monday morning, I am deep with in that sin again. Randy, how can I break free from this sin that gets a hold of me? Let me tell you something. You want to know how you can be free? Then let God give you an undeniable awareness of your presence. And while you're doing that sin, you'll know he's sitting right there beside you. You want to know why I stopped looking at porn? Because I knew Jesus was looking at porn with me. And I knew how much it broke his heart. Well, there you go. It's all you need. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that he stopped looking at porn. <laughs> he does not say or, undeniable proof of your presence. He says undeniable awareness of your presence. There's, a, there's just a, a, a sort of a, a conflation of categories here. An undeniable feeling is entirely different from an undeniable fact. And God speaks in his word in facts, not in feelings. So, where, where should these Christians go? Like, okay, so, so they, want, they want to know that God is with them all the time? Well, you go to the Jeremiah passage. You go to Psalm 139. It is objectively true, no matter how you feel about it. My point is, what's the point of the undeniable awareness? I, I just don't get it. Well, he's making it sound like it's the panacea against all sin. It is, apparently. In that, if I have this undeniable awareness that God is with me constantly... But man, I'm not going to lust. I'm not going to yell at my kids. I'm not going to be snippy with my wife. I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to get angry with my coworkers. Like somehow or another, if I just get clued into this, this will be the, um, the stopgap measure for my sanctification. Very good. I, I love where you're going with this, right? And how, so how do we relate to God? Uh, what's the only legitimate way to relate to God? Well, it's through his gospel. Well, here... Uh, what he's saying is relate to God through his law. This is God, the God of, of uh, the Ten Commandments, who's, who's hanging around there. And he's 
sitting on the sidelines while you're, you know, doing whatever you're ashamed of, uh, saying shame on you, shame on you. And this is supposed to bring you, you know, to, to stop your sins. Now, why in the world should the guy have stopped looking at pornography? God's told him not to do it uh, in his sixth commandment. And secondly, this is not serving your neighbor. He is not doing what he can to preserve marriage, sex, and family by looking at porn. He's destroying his own marriage, and he is uh, violating the sexual integrity of the people that he's watching. That's the reason to do it. Right? We, talk, we just talked about this with Professor Bierman. What motivates me now? I'm not doing it for Jesus. I'm doing it for that poor girl that somebody convinced to take off her clothes in front of a camera. Uh, and I'm doing it for my wife, whom God gave into my care, to love as my own body. So the, the, the motivation's all goofed up. Sure. But I can, even as you're talking, I can recall uh, a pastor in my teenage years saying that the antidote for, I believe he was talking about sexual sin, was to sing praise songs. <laughs> this shine, Jesus, shine, is that... This was the antidote. Well, seriously, the Word of God is an antidote to sin. And good, good Lutheran chorales chase the devil away. Why? Because they're speaking and singing the name of Jesus. Yeah, but most evangelical tunes are... That's not what he was referring to. I'm sure not. He was referring to um, just your typical love song to Jesus, you know, where Jesus sounds more like my boyfriend than, than anything else. So it's basically take your romantic love, which is misplaced... And reallocated for the Lord. There's a third thing here that that um, that I've been working with the children on in catechesis, and and it's that the the Ten Commandments are not only prohibition. Oftentimes, it's given as prohibition, but they they are actually positive commands connected to the gifts that the Lord Himself gives. And so, living as a redeemed believer in Christ. See, see, this opens the door to the heart of the Father, if you will. Uh, you can see that God the Father is this gracious giver and that he wants you to have his gifts and enjoy them. And he knows the best way for you to enjoy them. And so there's a, an entirely positive reason to stop looking at porn. And it, it's the preservation of this wonderful gift of God, the, the gift of marriage. And so my question for you is this. Will you ask God for an undeniable awareness of his presence? Will you ask God to open the eyes of your heart to him so that you know that he's constantly with you? There's never a place that you go. There's never a time that you are without him. Will you ask God to open the eyes of your heart to him? Why? Because if we're going to hear from God, if we're going to know his voice, we've got to believe. But notice, secondly, we must know. If we're going to hear God's voice, we must know. What's he saying in John 10, 27? He says, my people listen to my voice. John 10, 4 says this, they follow Jesus because they know his voice. What's he doing there? He's giving us the next key to hearing from God. God's giving us the next key from hearing from him, and that is knowing his voice. But here's the fact. The fact is this. Most of us don't recognize God's voice even when, he, even when we hear it. Most of us don't recognize God's voice even when we hear it. How in the world, uh, and I, he, he pulled a fast one on us here, how in the world did we go from listening for God's voice to a, a necessary condition being that uh, this awareness of God's presence? I mean, what, what, how did that leap get made? What was the, what was the textual, the scriptural 
obviously, as you pointed out, he's just concocting a theology on the spot. That's correct. He's saying how God has placed these keys. Like if we could just discover the keys, we can unlock all these doors and hear God who's, as he said earlier, shouting at us all the time. Right. And then hear him talking in a little whisper. And a little bit later, he's going to bring down the volume a little bit and <laughs> talk in a, in a whisper. Oh. oh. So many of us are like, a, uh, like Samuel in the old part of the Bible. I, look, look at 1 Samuel 3, 4 through 7. It says, the Lord called out Samuel. And what did Samuel do? He got up and ran to his mentor, Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So Samuel did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. And again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Then he explains it. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. You know what? He reminds me so much of us. God's speaking to you right now. He's been yelling at you all week. It's beginning to dawn on you. Some of you are getting, you're remembering sometimes. You're remembering some moments. And, and, and God's speaking to us all the time. But we're like Samuel. We don't recognize his voice. We think it's our parents. We think it's our grandparents. We think it's our boss. We think it's our neighbor. We think it's our spouse. And the whole time, it's God's like, hey, guess what? It's me. I'm trying to talk to you. It's me. I'm trying to get your attention. Well, there you go. I had no idea that God is speaking so much, and I am just so clueless that I can't even decipher that it's that it's Him. What do you make of the difference? And and you know, a good reader of the Scriptures does make a distinction between what the Lord prescribes and what the Lord describes. Does that does this make sense? Of course it does. Um, and so, you know, we have a prescription as an example uh, in Jesus, what, what people call the Great Commission, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, so on and so forth. Okay, so we've got, we've got a, a direct command there. Therefore, when we see it happening in Scripture, we realize that this is the fulfillment of the Lord's command. Here, what we've got is a description of, of an event. We have no command to listen for the voice of the Lord anywhere. And, and actually, if you go to Psalm 1, I was queuing up Psalm 1 here just before, it really shoots this guy's whole thesis down. Blessed is the man who walk, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law. He meditates day and night. What does that meditation look like? It refers to opening up your Bible and reading what God's Word says. You can pull away from God's Word at that point and be thinking about what God's Word says as opposed to listening for God to speak through all of these experiences or feelings or even the voice of other people. Right. And, you know, one of the things that, that, uh, that we've just been reading about in Chemnitz, uh, in the End Caribbean on Ministry, Word, and Sacraments, this whole business of, about what are we to make of these miracles? And, and let's face it, this calling of Samuel is miraculous. What are we to make of this? Well, I mean, Samuel becomes a... The Lord confirms the ministry of Samuel through, through these specific things. This is a direct call from God. 
Most of us today, however, don't have the direct call, and, and you can see how this develops in the New Testament already. Paul uh, t tells Timothy to go, or Titus, to go around and uh, establish um, bishops and, and deacons. And so the call becomes this immediate thing, this thing done through the hands of men. Well, can, so, can I pause you right yeah, there? Do. Because mean, evangelicals do not understand the difference between mediate and immediate. That is a construct that is foreign to them. Maybe maybe it's not as foreign as I'm suggesting. However, they're going to look at the times in the Bible where God used uh, or where God's call was immediate, mm -hmm. and they're going to deduce then every call should come about the exact same way, even for themselves. And that's a problem, uh, because I'm, I'm assuming that most people have never spoken with a burning bush. Correct. Right? Uh, most people have never been in a temple uh, where the Lord has spoken them, to them directly. And so, or had a conversation with an angel who struck them mute, say like John the Baptist's father. That's or, never happened. Or, or been struck blind on the road to Damascus. Of course right. not. Or been in the lion's den where the lions have uh, shut their mouths. I mean, this has not happened, but it is the longing of all evangelicals. Those are all external calls. So when Samuel hears the Lord, he doesn't hear him in his heart. He hears him in his ears. When Paul is accosted by Christ on the road to Damascus, he doesn't have a vision in his heart or in his mind's eye. The Lord Christ is standing right in front of him. And, and I think what probably is happening in most of these situations that we're talking about is that there's this internal call, right? We're hearing God inside of us rather than from the outside. And that is a huge difference. Where do we hear about an in, like a something that comes from your heart? We don't. I couldn't think of any instances. You're confirming that for me. We don't have anything like that. But the problem is for the evangelical is this is what guides him. He is always expecting and hoping for. And because it never comes, then you manufacture it. And so it does come from the inside. The problem is it's a manufactured voice of God, when, sadly, the very voice of God is before them in black print on white pages, coming from the mouth of their pastor when he says, I forgive you all your sins, coming from the mouth of the pastor when he says, I, I baptize you, uh, and coming from the mouth of the pastor when he says, this is Christ's body for you, his blood for you, for the forgiveness of sins. I shake my head thinking about how I've spent the bulk of my life saying one thing with my mouth but yet believing something else. And it was because I was taught to, and my own sinful flesh moved in this direction. I'm not blaming all my teachers. But the thought is, I longed for the immediate call. Or sort of mystical, yes? No doubt. Evangelicals, we just won't even begin to acknowledge how mystic we actually are. There's a, there's a great Lutheran hymn that talks about taking God at his word and knowing that it's true, and this is the phrase, whether felt or not. You know, of course, growing up Lutheran, you're steeped in this kind of thing, and uh, you do go through moments where you, you desire, you know, something more mystical or, or something like that. You think something big is going to happen because you got ordained or got a new call or something like this, uh, and it never does. Uh, there's, no, there's no game changer, at least it, it, that you can feel. 
it's throwing you back constantly on the objective ways in which God works. Hearing you say that is so refreshing because now I don't have to look inside. And number two, when you actually look at what the Bible says about what's inside, why would you ever want to look there to begin with? <laughs> yes. Yeah, right, right. Out of the out of the heart come all of these things. So this would be the last place. And this is, uh, do you remember Hammer of God? Something about the young vicar, young pastor said something about giving Jesus my heart. What would Jesus want with that old nasty thing? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then and then he likens it, doesn't he, to uh, the way that it actually works is that God God's like an old man walking along with a with a cane, and um, comes upon a pile of rubbish ru- of rubbish and old rusty tin cans and and loves one of those tin cans for whatever reason inexplicable to to the outside observer sticks his Cain in the can picks it up and takes it home and cherishes it. And this is exactly how how Christianity actually works. This is the grace of God. You're saying, well, Randy, how in the world can I know what God's voice is like for me? Randy, how, how am I going to understand and know that it's God's voice when he speaks to me? Well, I think of the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Elijah reminds me of many of you. You see, Elijah had had some awesome times with the Lord. Elijah had literally called down fire from heaven. He had been done. He had brought rain after a drought. Elijah was doing some awesome things for God. But then, guess what happened? A woman messed him up. A woman threatened him, said, "Hey, I'm going to kill you." And Elijah, who had just called down fire from heaven, Elijah, who had just brought rain after year long, years long drought decided that the best thing he needed to do was not stand firm. The best thing he needed to do was to run like the girl that he was. And so Elijah ran and ran and ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. And then he hung out beside a creek and he was like, oh God, I want to die. And God's like, you know what? You need to hear from me. So in the midst of Elijah's fear, in the midst of his terror, in in the midst of his timidity, Elijah understood. God knew that Elijah needed to hear from God. And so in 1 Kings 19, God reveals himself. God speaks to Elijah. And what he'll do, if you'll pay attention, he'll show you how he's going to speak to you as well. Because we see in 1 Kings 19 that God speaks softly. When God speaks, he speaks softly. Notice what 1 Kings 19, 11 and 12 says. It said, the Lord was passing by. A, a fierce wind tore mountains and shattered rocks ahead of the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After that, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a quiet, whispering voice. This is why it's important to go to seminary and learn Hebrew and Greek to be able to verify what the text actually says. Uh, The text does not say that there was a whispering voice. It it says something like a a thin silence or or silence. So uh, to to, uh, suggest that there's voice here is um, entirely, well, it, it, he's dreaming. He's making this up. And, of course, the Lord speaks shortly hereafter, right? But now we're just in utter silence. As he was talking about this, I was reminded how Chuck Swindoll, have you ever heard that name? I've heard that name. Chuck Swindoll either wrote a book or I heard him speaking about this passage, and he said he talked about the importance of taking a nap. 
it was just good for him to go to sleep. Because after he ran, there was something about he fell asleep and how taking a nap is very important. It's a good thing for people to do. Yeah. If it was good for the prophet, it's good for you. Especially in ministry. You need to take a nap. <laughs> but this, regardless of that, this goes right back to what we were talking about just before with the immediate and the immediate call. What this pastor is telling this congregation and anybody who listens to this sermon via the Internet this is the way that God interacts with us, and as a result of that, you should be hearing from God the same way that Elijah did. Is, yeah. that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. I, I, I'm with you. And, and yet here, the, the interesting thing is, how immediate is this? I mean, the Lord has packed himself inside of wind, earthquake, and fire. This is how the Lord deals with his people. He comes to them incarnately. Then we've got this silence. What is this silence? It's it's silence. It's not a whispering voice. Correct. It's silence. And then we have the verba domini, the, the words of the Lord. Look, this is the external word. Is this not? This is not an internal word. Elijah's not hearing this in his heart. This is the external word of God. This is our argument. This is how God always talks to us, through his external word. But what this pastor is pointing out is it is a seed that is planted in the evangelical their whole lives. I mean, this is not just a uh, obscure passage. I mean, this is the go-to passage when you are wanting to hear God speak, and it is all up to you to quiet yourself, to turn all of the external things off so that you can almost like a um, a Buddhist in the lotus position. Right. And um, yeah. Right. This is the worst place to be looking for God to speak. Into the into the vast nothingness of Aum, which is that that's what it means. Did you know that? Aum means nothingness. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and you know, can we go another step here too? You know, the the Lutherans say, yes, there was this immediate interaction of God with Elijah, okay, even though he came in the wind and all that sort of stuff. God, in other words, appeared and dealt with Elijah in ways that he doesn't appear and deal with you and me on a regular basis in a miraculous way, in a way that's not according to his promise. He never promises. Look, folks, when you want to hear me talk, this is the way it's going to go down. There's going to be a fire, then an earthquake, and a and the sound of wind, and then a, and, and then a dead silence. He doesn't make that promise. Okay, that's number one. Number two is this. The Lord confirms the word that he speaks to Elijah by the miracles that he lays into Elijah's hands, which themselves are recorded in God's written word. This is God, the way that God proves the veracity of the utterances of the prophets, which they received from the Lord. Where is this? Where is the axe head that's floating where is the fire called down from the sky on, on um, the heathen nations or the, the prophets of the heathen nations worked by Randy Hand? There is none. Do you see that? How does God like to talk to you? How does God like to talk to me? He likes to talk to us softly. He'll whisper into the ear of our heart. He'll whisper into our mind. He'll whisper into our soul. And God loves to speak softly to you and me. You're saying, Randy, well, how do I hear him? Well, remember, remember, we have to quiet our world to hear from God. We have to quiet our world to hear from God. 
You're saying, what do you mean? I'll, I'll give you an illustration. My mama, I knew growing up, my mama loved to have the TV on in the other room. Why? She always wanted noise. There always had to be some noise going on in the house. And I found, you know what? My mama's not the only one. We've always got to have the radio playing in the car. We've always got to have the TV on in the house. We've always got to have social media. We've always got to have noise filling our head. We've always got to have noise all around us. Well, here's the problem with that. When your life is always noisy, you cannot hear the voice of God. And if you want to hear God's voice, you're going to have to quiet your world. You're going to have to quiet your mind. You're going to have to quiet that around you. Yeah. He's pretty pretty excited about this, right? He's he's putting more noise into the world than but but here two things about this. Number 1, if he is using the the Elijah story to talk about quieting your own world. Guess who quieted Elijah's world? Not Elijah, the Lord. The Lord is the one who brought the silence. So he he takes from this this just, sort of just like he brought all the other things before the silence. Precisely, Elijah didn't invoke the wind and the fire and the earthquake. That was all brought on by the Lord Himself. So that's point number one. Point number two, we can all agree that there is too much schlock on the airwaves of of our land, both online and on TV and 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 on the radio and so on and so forth. However. Life is noisy. The life of vocation is noisy. And what he's advocating here is a sort of neo-monasticism. Look, we get it. You can't be a monk 24-7. But if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, you got to go into what's effectively your own little monastery, uh, your soundproof booth, and listen. And when you do that, you remove yourself from your vocation and you remove yourself from the purpose for which the Lord placed you on earth which is to be a father, an employee, an employer, and follow the Ten Commandments in, in your life. Wow. What you don't realize in the evangelical world is that because there are no sacraments, we invent our own. And so this is an invented sacrament? That's correct. I'm reminded of all of the different teachers that we have flocked to to listen to this espousing of neo-monasticism, and it's names that I'm sure you don't even know. Richard Foster uh, wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. This is years ago, maybe 30 years ago, and uh, maybe a little bit more. That opened the floodgate because he was talking about all of the uh, disciplines, which are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but you could easily look at them and say uh, silence was a discipline and journaling was a discipline, and uh, sacred reading, uh, Lectio Divina. It, it seemed to like open the floodgate of various spiritual disciplines that one needs to incorporate into their lives to, to have this deeper relationship with Jesus. And there is something in the evangelical that he laps this stuff up. I wonder if they'd lap up oratio meditatio tentatio haec tria faciunt theologum. That's a wonderful— It is. It's a great way to go, but it's so different because it throws you back into vocation. That's where the tribulation comes from. What what is attractive to the evangelical mind is this monasticism. And is that freedom? Is that freedom from the tentatio? Is that what it is? Is it like, this is my little retreat where— where I get away from all the crap of life and 
It's just me and Jesus, and and this is my calm bubble kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah that could be, or it could be I can do these things to get closer to the Lord, to ask him to remove this thorn in my flesh the same way that Paul did, even though the Lord didn't do it. Right, and how many thorns does the Lord not remove, right? And simply simply says, uh, suffer, take up your cross and follow me. Going back to recognizing that God sometimes is interested in what restaurants you eat at. The other day, Paul and I were having a meeting. And Paul and I have recognized that whenever we have a meeting, there's always somebody that wants to talk to us. There's always somebody that wants us to minister to them. And so it's very important which restaurants we go to. Why? Because we know that wherever we go, there's somebody there that God wants us to minister to. And so we were riding down the road, and I said, hey, Paul, where do you want to go eat? And he's like, I don't know. Where do you want to go eat? And I literally looked at him, and I put my hand up because he started talking again. Not that Paul would ever like to talk. But I literally put my hand up like this, and I said, give me a second. And I had to have a few seconds to quiet. God, where do you want me to eat? And he put a restaurant in my mind. We went to that restaurant. And sure enough, as soon as Paul walks in, a guy that he needed to minister to was sitting right there. Paul went and ministered to him. And then we had our meeting. <laughs> you know, ridiculous. I mean, that is just ridiculous. Can you imagine living like that? No, I can't imagine living like that. And it's contrary to... To scripture, it's just contrary to what the Lord has placed into our hands. Has he not placed into our hands and our decision? So this is another thing. Do you think these guys make decisions for Christ? I mean, are these decisions for Christ kind of guys? Of course they are. So isn't this ironic that the Lord has clearly placed into our hands matters like, should I pay my bill or not? We don't say, oh, silence, Lord. Okay, yeah, he said I should, I ought to pay my bill. So he's placed into our hands these things that are below us, and he has, Satan has um, taken from us, and the Lord has confirmed it, the ability to, to, to make a choice about things that are above us, namely faith in the God who gives himself in the person of his son Jesus Christ for the salvation of the world. So these guys make a decision for what's above them, but put everything that's that has that the Lord has placed in their hands back into the Lord's hands and say, you take care of it. So you're saying everything is cattywampus here. Everything is the turned world upside, is upside down. down. Yeah. The world is upside down. You are saying that there are certain things that one cannot make a decision for, namely things above you, things of salvation, faith, those things. Can't do it can't do it the mind the heart is so darkened right and we see this all over the scriptures you know that right yeah so but you're saying what the lord has allowed us to make decisions over i mean i'm going to go home for lunch at some point and i'm probably going to make uh, one of my favorite go-to lunches which is a scrambled egg uh, quesadilla should i use three eggs or four and should you ask the Lord about it? Well, I, let's let's put my hand in the air. I guess the thing that trips me out, <laughs> if we had to ask the Lord, where do you want to eat? Why did he even ask Paul where to eat to begin with? Why didn't you just start with the Lord rather than going to Paul first? And since Paul didn't know and Pastor Hand didn't know, then we had to go to the Lord. Why even involve Paul? Let's just ask the Lord where we're supposed to go to eat. Right. But then to have the person at the restaurant 
engage with Paul for whatever reason, to what extent, then verifies the fact that this is what God is calling us to do in the way he wants us to live our lives. Right, and that's so uh, that, that's disturbing too because uh, this interaction could have been had uh, anywhere, and and who knows? Uh, uh, you know, as Luther Luther would say uh, something like this. How do you know that that is not a greater wickedness? That right? That 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 this wasn't good. This voice from the Lord, it's the voice of Satan. How does Paul know that he that he didn't avoid working with twenty people who needed his ministry in another restaurant, or or passing by a car crash where people are dying and need to hear the gospel? Right? I mean, this is just pure crap. I'm sorry. Can are you gonna keep that on there? Yeah, I'm gonna keep oh, that shoot. on there. What was happening there in the midst of everything, I had to quiet sometime just to hear what God was trying to say to me, just to hear the thought that he planted in my head. And so if you're going to hear from God, you've got to understand that he speaks softly and you're going to have to quiet your world. But notice, secondly, that God speaks simply. God speaks simply. We see in 1 Kings 19, 13, God said to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I don't know what you expected God to say. Some of you may expect him to quote some King James, but maybe you wanted to talk about propitiation and sanctification, all that identification, whatever you expect. But all God looked at Elijah and said, what are you doing here? He just simply talked to Elijah. He said simple words that Elijah could understand. Simple words that Elijah could understand. I'm, I'm completely with that. Uh, because the Lord speaks in the language that the people need, and this is a we we find this out in in First Corinthians. However, the Lord does go on in His talking to Elijah, and this is what He says: Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha son of Shaphat of Abel. Mechulah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Pretty complex set of instructions. It is. He's got three or four things to do and a promise of the Lord, what he's going to do to preserve the faithful remnant. And um, yeah, so this, uh, like, go to Chuck E. Cheese? Yeah, but did you notice at the very beginning, before he got to what he said to Elijah, we've heard this before in previous podcasts, the pastor is looking to diminish theological thought a little bit, mm. that somehow or another, that's not how God speaks. Mm, that's interesting. It's a diminishment. That's interesting. Right. So when one thinks about theology and then begins to speak about theology, oh, oh, oh that, uh, that's not the Lord speaking. No. No, that's a human construct over everything, even though, even though the Lord himself uses the word propitiation and atonement. Well, please remember this. Please remember, if, if what we're hearing is from God, it will not be confusing. If what we're hearing is from God, it will not be confusing. I talk to people all the time. They're like, Randy, I just don't know what God to do. I'm so confused. I can do this. I can do that. Ah! Whoa, wait a second. If you're confused, you're not listening to God. You're listening to the devil. Why? Because my Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Yeah. What, what about that? Well, 
You know, this is just like pulling pulling uh, inapplicable passages to to apply to to what you want to to apply to, right? Yeah, isn't that verse talking about uh, the the order of the church service? Exactly, it's talking about not having a confusing church service. Now, can you be confused when the Lord speaks to you? I think you can. It's not because of the lack of clarity of His Word. Number one, it's because of human frailty and and human um, sinfulness, number one. Number two, go to First or Second Peter and just read a chapter and tell me that that is as simple as let's go eat a Chuck E. Cheese. No, there's some heavy stuff there. Or if you were in, say, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. Hebrews is very complicated. One of the reasons it's complicated is because it demands a previous understanding of Old Testament ways. Right. And and so isn't it the responsibility of the pastor to, uh, and this connects with what you were just saying, I think it was offline just a minute ago, the responsibility of the pastor to elevate the understanding of his people and to equip them to face the the real ambiguities of life with the certainty of the, the written word of God on their side. Sure. So what this pastor is doing, and it's easy to do, and unfortunately I am guilty of it as well, where you start out with a proof, or you start out with your premise, and then you go looking for verses to support the premise that you've started with, and this is exactly what he did in using using this verse, in that if you are confused by what the Lord is saying to you, then it's not the Lord, because my Bible says that God is a God of peace and not a God of confusion. Mm-hmm. When Paul was talking about the church service the church. and not how one receives revelation from God. Right, it's not inner confusion, is it? It's, it's, it's like um, tumult, tumult on the outside. Right, it's not a rabble and a and a riot. That's not what church is. This is a horrible way to help scare quotes help your people. Like they pick up the book of Job. Are they going to be confused by Job? Yes, Job is very confusing. The way that the logic works in Job is very. I mean, you have to study the dickens out of that thing, and 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 scholars still break their heads over the book of Job. They're confused by it in a certain sense. So this is allowing the people to say, that's not a word of God, or at least it's not a word of God for me. I'm not responsible to it because it's, it's confusing. To me, this is demonic. Oh, no doubt. But he's going to cover his tracks by saying if how what the Lord says will never go against his word. Oh, that's interesting. So going to Chuck E. Cheese's isn't against God's word, so it must be a revelation of God. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so if you're hearing from God, it's going to be something simple that you understand, and you're going to have a peace about it. If you're confused, you need to go back to the drawing board. There's probably something in your life that needs to be fixed. Did he just say what I think he said? I think he just said what you think he said. Did that not just crush Everybody there? I mean, did they not see that this does not compute here? I am not sanctified enough. Therefore, the radio signals from from heaven to earth are getting confused in my mind. And the pastor has just received—I've lost count of how many direct downloads he's received. 
So clearly there's nothing that is a barrier between him and God. So again, it's the emphasis is in this congregation, be like me. And it's all law. It, it, it cannot but help leave these people panting for righteousness, the righteousness that God gives through Christ. But how are they going to get that? They're not. And so we understand that God speaks simply. We understand God speaks softly. But notice, thirdly, that God speaks shockingly. God speaks shockingly. God says in 1 Kings 19, 15, he says, Go back the same dangerous way you came. Now, I guarantee you, when Elijah said, You know what, God, I need to hear from you. When Elijah said, You know what, God, I want you to speak to me. The last thing that Elijah thought God would say is go back toward that queen that wants to kill him with her army. The last thing he expected God to say to him was do something that made him uncomfortable. But always remember this. Remember that God loves to get us out of our comfort zone. God loves to get us out of our comfort zone. In fact, I'll go ahead and tell you, you can write this down if you want to. One of the ways you know it's from God is if you don't want to do it. Yeah. So was he in fear and trembling on his way to the restaurant that the Lord revealed he and Paul ought to go to? That's ridiculous. This is bovine scatology. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, if I'm walking through town and I've got $15 in cash in my pocket, which I very rarely have because I've got 90-something kids, but I have $15 in my pocket and God says, give that, money, give that person some money or buy that person's lunch. I don't want to do that. No, it's from God, though, because why God says be generous. God says be loving. All right? We know. God loves to speak shockingly to us. One of the things you're going to understand when you start hearing God's voice is he's going to start saying things that you don't want to hear and you don't want to do. But that's one way you know that it's God. The only thing I would say to this, even though it is just absolutely asinine, when the Lord Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, that's pretty shocking. I guess, right? I mean, yes. Which would indicate that it truly is the Lord speaking, and he's speaking the truth. Right, right, exactly. But see, that doesn't count. This is still talking about the Chuck E. Cheese and where to go for this and what to do about this and should I wear blue jeans or slacks. What if the Lord had told him, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of things that I wouldn't want to do that the Lord might, that something, that some voice inside me might tell me to do. I'm going to be a sophisticated arguer back on this one, right? Okay, all right. The Lord told Abraham to, to slay his own son, right? Which was, which was totally against the Lord's will. And character. And character, right? I mean, uh, and was um, a hallmark of the pagan idolatry uh, around, uh, around Abraham in the land of Canaan. Now, the Lord actually told him to do that. So I get a voice in my head that says, John, go jump off the North Topeka Bridge in low water so you fall on the rocks and you know break your neck and die it's shocking so according to him the proof is in the pudding this is a shocking message that i've gotten in my heart or in my mind therefore it must be the lord therefore i ought to do it the dangers of this logic are manifest and no one should listen to this guy but finally, notice that God not only speaks to us all those various ways, but he finally, God speaks scripturally. God speaks scripturally. What do I mean by that? Well, 1 Kings nineteen eighteen says this weird verse that says, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to idols. What was happening there? Well, Elijah was whining like most of us do. How many times have you whined to God and said, God, I'm the only one. Nobody else loves you like I do. 
Well, that was Elijah. And God was like, dude, really? I've got 7,000 people who are just like you. I've got 7,000 people who love me just like you do. You're saying, but Randy, where had Elijah seen that principle in the Bible? Well, he saw it in Genesis 45, 7, where it says, God sent before you, me before you to preserve a remnant in the earth. What's happening there? Elijah knew that it was from God that God had preserved 7,000. Why? Because he had seen in Genesis that God was about preserving a remnant even in the most horrible times. And that, that last thing that we need to remember, we need to remember that God will never speak anything that goes against the Bible. But is God going to speak to you about things that he doesn't deal with in the Bible, such as should we go to Chuck E. Cheese or Chili's? Obviously he does, and there must be some sort of barrier in your life, Pastor Bruss, where you can't hear him tell you. I, I guess I can't. I guess I can't. I mean, that's the logic. It, it must be. It must be. You know, it was, it's interesting. I, I just set up a lunch, right? You're, you're, you're on that email. And we had one guy who, who needed to eat as early as 11 o'clock. And so I didn't ask the Lord to make the decision for me. I actually went online and found out which restaurants were open by 11 for lunch. <laughs> right? It was an easy process of elimination. So what you're saying is, is that by default, you had to go and you didn't ask the Lord. You didn't put your hand up and have just a moment? No, nope. it was silent in my office, but uh, I didn't hear the Lord talking to me. As you would say, the Lord has like put in our hand to make decisions, whether it's three eggs or four eggs for lunch or whether it's restaurant A or B. He has said, you're free. Right. I've given you a brain. I've given you reason. I've given you dominion over all the living things. But Pastor Hand is saying that to live by faith, this is what we must do. Right. And this is interesting. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden where we actually have a faithful human being, Adam, prior to the fall. In the image of God. In the, in the very image of God. And this is what the Lord tells Adam. Of all the trees. Exactly. Go ahead and eat whatever you want to, except for the one. So obviously he laid this in, in the perfectly faithful man's free choice to do. Now, I, it's important that people don't hear that we're talking about a free will I in know. matters of divine things, Please, right? Please, yes. Mm -hmm. But just to put a I'm so frustrated with this guy. His theology is so... I mean, do they go to... Where do they get it? A Cracker Jack box? Their MDiv? Seriously. Does this guy have a theology degree? Yes, but you have to understand that this is exactly what he was taught at his theological school. Do, do the church fathers matter to them? We don't worship the church fathers. We just say... If I want to have a, a better understanding of the text, I need a guide here. Right. You want to stand on somebody else's shoulders. Right. And maybe I'll discover something new, which would be really neat, right? But that's not my point. No, I think we've talked about it before, how the schools in which he went to, uh, this pastor went to, that I went to, they are hotbeds for theologians of glory. The implication of that is I want to get out into the ministry field because I am all that and a bag of chips. You know, it's like the Joker's line in one of the Batman movies. Wait till they get a load of me. And so they are the special ones at the, at the center of all of this. Right. God's chosen instruments. Well, has anybody, though, in his congregation gotten up and walked out? No. They have all sat there. I mean, the hook has already been set, and now he is just reeling in. So, and is that because uh, 
that this is such an appeal to the to the old nature to the to the sinful nature um, that wants to that, be that, active. Be active. Yes, exactly. That that does not want to receive. It right. wants to. It wants to. Right. Do. Yeah. Exactly. That's it. There's that pagan phrase. It's it's used to describe ancient Roman, ancient uh, Greek sacrificial practices. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but I, I think it's so helpful for describing what we see in the evangelical world and in the Roman Catholic world. Do ut des. I give in order that you might give. I give in order that you might give. So if I want to have Athena be propitious toward Athens... I make a big offering to Athena, right? Mm-hmm. So I give in order that Athena give back. And it strikes me that there's this same sort of pagan reckoning going on in evangelical theology. I'll quiet down my world, Lord, so that you'll talk to me. That is the heart of evangelical thought. And it's totally wired to the old man. And this is why they run after it. It's because the old man is driving them. They cannot be passive and receive. I'm going to take it a step further. They cannot be Christians. Well, I think you're exactly right because you recall when Peter stood up as Jesus was washing feet and Peter says, no, Lord, you you shouldn't be doing this. And Jesus says, if you don't let me do it, you have no part no with part me. me yeah. And so you can have the form. Uh, what is um, what is Paul? Uh, they they have the, the form of the godliness. Form, the form of godliness without knowledge. Um, so so we have the form here. We got all the right words. We got Jesus. We got God talking. We've got uh, God caring for us, desiring to guide, lead God and direct. Right, and it's but it's all put together in the wrong way, just as the Pharisees had put it together in the wrong way. Gosh, uh, I mean, they had the whole they had the whole nine yards, and yet they they missed the the Messiah shows up and says, "My life for yours," and they say, "Hogwash." We're not going to have anything to do with it. You're of the devil. You're of the devil. This is such a stern warning to anybody listening, especially who is not Lutheran. Man, you could get this so screwed up so easily, couldn't you? Absolutely. And especially some charismatic guy gets up, starts yelling at you, and you walk out and you go, wow, he's right. God hasn't talked to me. My life must be in shambles. I better do something in order that God do something for me. Scary thought. When you come in, when an evangelical comes into a Lutheran liturgical service, typically he or she is repulsed because the entire thing from start to finish is about you being passive. You set your preferences, even your opinions. You, you set that, you leave that in the, uh, in the narthex. Uh, the Word of God comes to you externally, just like the absolution comes to you externally from the mouth of the pastor. Now you've got the Word of God coming to you externally, extranos, and what happens? We say, thanks be to God. God just spoke to us just now. Thanks be to God. And then the sermon comes to us. The Lord's Supper comes to us. You know, we're all covered up, you and I as pastors. We are completely covered up with the exception of our mouth and our hands and our feet, because that's really all that matters. We're there as servants, stewards of the mysteries of God, bringing it to the people. So all that matters is our feet that come to you, our hands that give it to you, and our mouths that declare it to you. That's it. 
Who cares that we're overweight? Who cares that our that we got Dunlop's disease and our belly is Dunlopped over our belt? I mean, <laughs> who, who cares, right? right? Who cares whether we're sharp dressers or who cares whether we're just a bunch of slobs? It's all covered up. The point is the evangelical has been steeped in this activity so much where the old man, see, this is what's so deceptive about it. They think their old man has died because they accepted Jesus. No, their old man is alive and well. Exactly. Precisely because he did accept Jesus, right? He's been he's been fed. Uh, he, he's been given like a, 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 a bottle of Red Bull, in a sense. He's going on hyperactive. And then this goes back to your original point of, are these people even Christian? To me, this is the scary thing. Now, do I think that there can be Christians here in spite of all of the false doctrines? Of course Abs- you think that. Absolutely. Yes. But if you follow what this guy is saying and believe according to the paradigm that he is proposing, you can't have Christ. You don't have Christ. As if that isn't bad enough. This is going to lead you down roads and rabbit holes. You don't want to go. Again, darkness, you're saying? Yes. Yes. Despair? Yes. And and I we've said it before uh, regarding the Lord's Supper in some of the previous podcasts. This strips away any and all assurance. You're, you're just, you're trying to latch on to some sort of assurance that this is God's Word, which I would assume, based upon what he's teaching, this is actually taking you away from the certainty found in God's Word. Isn't it? Isn't it? If God could, at the drop of a hat, say Chuck E. Cheese versus Chili's on, on a whim, how certain does that make this word here uh, written in, in black ink on white pages? How is that certainty of the written word fostered uh, or rather undercut, frankly, undercut by this whole direct revelation schlock that he's spewing forth here? This is, this is scary stuff. And then on top of that, as if we could, you know, we can kind of keep building our case here. If we were to stand outside this church as people were coming out and ask them to a person, do you believe God's word? They would all say yes. Every one of them would hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. Of the Bible. Right. Uh, so, so this, right, and, and, and here's the problem, okay? So, so they, believe, they all believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. They do not believe what the inerrancy of Scripture entails. That's exactly okay, right. And this is 2 Timothy 3.16. All, all Scripture, pasagrafe, each and every writing, um, is breathed out by God. Now listen, so what's the, what's, the, what's the downstream effect of that? It's profitable. For what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now, what we have him saying here, let's go back to his anecdote with Pastor Paul. Yeah. Is, is, it, is it Paul a pastor? Do we, I, do we know? I, 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 we'll pretend he is. Apparently, God schooled them in righteousness apart from his written word. They did the righteous thing based upon this external revelation from God by going to Chuck E. Cheese's and bumping into to Mike, to whom Pastor Paul was able to, to offer ministry. That's the righteous work. Well, guess what? No. The scriptures are all sufficient in and of themselves, and they are, this this is, maybe we've gotten onto the really scary, awful part of, of this, right? It's not just additional revelations that may or may not be of God. 
this undercuts the very scripture principle, the very foundation of faith. God will never speak anything that goes against the Bible. You understand God's not going to tell you to cheat on your wife. God's not going to tell you to steal from the government. God's not going to tell you to lie. Right? God's not. He is not going to violate Scripture. And so here's my question for you. It's a weird one, but I need you to answer if you don't mind. The question is this. Do you know what the voice of God sounds like to you? You're saying, does God's voice sound different? Oh, yeah. My, my, the voice of God in my head sounds like James Earl Jones. So he is now elevated to the level of Scripture, Hollywood productions in which James Earl Jones provides the voice of God. And this is the voice that comes into his head. That, who does not see the ridiculousness of this, of this stuff? And can I just point out, this contradicts exactly what he was— I mean, is James Earl Jones, does he have a quiet, whispery voice? Hardly. I've had y'all tell me on several occasions that the voice of God sounds like me. I'm sorry. But what does the vo- Hey, I even had a class in college that says the voice of God often sounds like your parents or your grandparents or whatever. Do you know what the voice of God sounds like to you? He said something there that was very encouraging to me for a moment, and then it just sort of evaporated. Pastor Kearns, the voice of God sounds like your voice to me. And why is that? Because I'm reading God's Word. Because you're reading God's Word and you're speaking the words that the Lord has given you to speak to me, right? I forgive you all your sins. This is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. This is Christ's body for you for the forgiveness of your sins. These are the words that the Lord has laid on your mouth. He is using your mouth to speak to me. So you sound to me like the voice of God. And guess what? When I have a different pastor, that's the voice of God to me. Can my wife be the voice of God to me? Absolutely, right? When she brings me the comfort of or the reproof or the correction of God's word, yeah, that's the voice of God to me. But I think he's talking about something totally different. He's not talking about an external word. He's talking about what I'm hearing inside my vain imagination. And if not, will you ask God to help you know his voice. Why? Because if we're going to hear from God, we must believe. If we're going to hear from God, we must know. But there's a third thing that we got to do if we're going to hear from God, and that is we must belong. We must belong. John 10, 26 says this, you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. Underline that word, my. John 8, 47 says this, anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. What's God doing? God's giving us the final key of hearing his voice, and that is we have to belong to him. And that leads us to the fact, and the fact is this. The majority of us believe things about God, but don't belong to him. The majority of us believe things about God, but we don't belong to him. James 2.19 says this. You believe there is one God, good for you, but the demons believe that too. You see, I'm willing to bet that if you're here today, that you believe some things about God. Maybe you believe he's a heavenly Santa Claus. Maybe you believe that he's some heavenly grandpa. I'm willing, to believe, I'm willing to wager that if you're here today, you believe a bunch of things about God. But what's he saying there in James 2.19? That just believing some things about God, believing a list of things about God, that is not enough to save you. It's not enough to just believe things about God. You have to belong 
to him. That's why 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this. You Christians do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. Now go back to John 10, 26. He says, my sheep. What does he mean by my sheep? He's saying, you know what? I own you. You are mine. One of these days, some of you got to realize that salvation equals God's control. In order to get saved, it's not about fire insurance. In order to get saved, it's not about making yourself happy. In order to get saved, it is about God controlling your life. We even see it in the verse that we quote here almost every Sunday in Romans 10, 13. We, we quote all the time, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, underline that phrase, the Lord, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice he didn't say calling upon Jesus. He says calling upon the Lord. Why? Calling upon the Lord means we accept his control of our life. You cannot call somebody Lord and truly mean it unless you're saying, Oh God, I accept your lordship over me. I accept your lordship over my relationships. I accept your lordship over my finances. I accept your lordships over me, oh God. By the way, why do you think your bodies matter? Why do you think God cares about what you eat and drink? Why do you think God cares about how you exercise? Why do you think he cares? You want to know why? Because that's his body. It's not yours. Why do you think submission matters? Because that's not your relationship there. That's God's relationship. Oh, man. I, I'm exhausted. I am too. And Lutherans who are listening to this, remember the explanation to the second article of the creed, what it means to have a Lord. I mean, Luther explains this. What does this mean, right? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. Now, he tells us what that means. Who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil. This is what it means to have a Lord. Again, okay, terrible theology. Lord, in the New Testament is not this idea of master, it's this, it's this Old Testament idea of Adonai, uh, Yahweh. And whenever God reveals himself and comes as Yahweh, I mean, he's always Yahweh, but whenever he shows himself this way, it is to redeem his people, to bring them back. This guy's got this thing totally upside down. He's saying, you make the effort, you do everything, and then... In other words, you make yourself the Lord's own, not not the Lord makes you his own. Which goes back to this uh, pagan thought that you were speaking of earlier. Totally. This is all old Adam crap. Why do you think your family matters? Because that's not your kid. That's not your grandkid. That's God's. And the truth is this. I hope you never forget it. The truth is this, when we reject God's control, we reject his voice as well. When we reject God's control, some of you right now, you're in that season of life where you haven't heard from God in a long time. And I have a feeling if you will go back and you will look, you will find an area of rebellion that has quieted the voice of God. You're saying, Randy, I don't believe that. I think God speaks to me all the time. It doesn't matter what I do. I can act any way I want to. I can rebel any way I want to. I can eat whatever I want to. I can drink whatever I want to. I can have sex with anybody I want to. Randy, it does not matter. Are you kidding me? Look at the book of Amos in the old part of the Bible. God says in Amos 5, 12, for I know the vast number of your sins and the depths of your rebellion. And what was the result? 
Amos 8.11 says, The days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Right. When Amos said that, he was talking about the external word being preached and read. He wasn't talking about, because the rebellion, now I won't speak to your quiet inner heart. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. That's right. It was a famine of the external word, wasn't it? And and don't we see, don't, isn't that exactly how it plays out as you read um, the books of the Kings and the books of of uh, the Chronicles, right, in the Old Testament? Well, and then the rediscovery of the of the text and and so on. This had been shelved in the temple, and the Lord had brought about a famine. So the famine is clearly the famine of the written, proclaimed external word. This guy, his theology is just garbage. Well, and on top of that, let me let me tell you how I found this this sermon. I didn't have to go digging through archived messages. If you go to this church's website, this is the one sermon that they have on their homepage, which is very telling. They want to be known as a church. This pastor wants to be known by this message. I mean, this guy's taken a corner that's not even a corner of the Word of God and turned it into the whole kit and caboodle. Too bad. You see, you think your sin don't matter. You think your rebellion is not that big a deal. But then when you want to hear from God, when you want to know what job to take, when you want to know what car to buy, when you want to know that person that you need to marry, when you want to know crickets. Why? Because God is not speaking to you because when you reject his control of your life, you reject his voice as well. It reminds me of a story. You probably heard it. God reminds me of it all the time. There was this husband and wife, they got married, and they drove a pickup truck, one of those single cab pickup trucks. And and I guess the truck was so hard to drive because the woman always sat right beside him. Everywhere they went, she was right beside him. They they, they couldn't be separated. They they talked together, they laughed together, they'd sing together with the radio. And, And boy, they just, everywhere they go, husband and wife, side by side, hip to hip, cheek to cheek. And then some things happened. She got mad. Things happened. Problems occurred. and She started sliding over a little bit further and a little bit further. And it didn't take too long for her to be sitting on way over there on her side of the truck. And he was way over there on their side of the truck. And there wasn't no singing. There wasn't no laughing. There wasn't no talking. There wasn't no unity. And a couple, uh, 40 years passed, and, and they're riding down the road, and she's on her side of the truck, he's on his side of the truck, and uh, what happens, a truck blows by them, and there's a girl sitting right beside her man, and that truck must be hard to drive too, because she's sitting so close to him, and it takes both of them to drive it, and they're laughing, and they're cutting up, and they're singing, and they're having a good old time, unity's happening, it's sweet. And the wife sitting on the other side of the truck says, huh, we used to be like that. You know what her husband said to her? Who moved? God's saying the same thing to you today. Some of you are saying, Randy, I remember when God spoke to me all the time. I felt so close to him. I felt like I could reach out and touch him. He and I were so close. I heard his voice. He even told me what clothes to wear. He told me what music to listen to. Randy, I was so close to God. I was hearing his voice all the time. Randy, what happened? And God's sitting there looking at you, and he's looking at me, and he's like, who moved? Talks about it in Revelations. We've lost our first love. 
We've left our father. We're not listening to him anymore. Why? Because of the rebellion, because of disobedience. Every time we choose to disobey, every time we choose to rebel, we get a little further, we get a little further, we get a little further away from God. I would love to know about this proximity to God talk, what that, what that actually means. Um, how, so, so I've drifted, let, let's just say I've drifted from God, okay, like one of these, the, the ladies sitting on the other side of the truck. Number one, what does cheek to cheek, butt to butt look like, okay? With God. Okay, but what is with God? No, with you're saying with God. What does that look like? Right, with right, God. right, right. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? I mean, what? Well, he said, he said, I was so close to you. You were telling me what clothes to wear every day. You were telling me where to okay, go. Okay, that's eat. the result of it, right? That's the result of it. He's saying, isn't that correct? That the looking or the, all these directions about you know which underpants to wear. But presumably, there's a measure by which I know that I've drifted from God. Is it, is it just the symptom that I can't hear God talking anymore? Okay, so now he's telling me to get back t- close to God. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to do this? I mean, I, I don't know what he means. Be more passionate. Be more committed. Be more disciplined. So this has nothing to do with, like, the Ten Commandments or, or the clear revelation of God's Word. Well, what I, I mean—no, it doesn't. And where, I want, where I'm going in my mind is the forgiveness of sins— Precisely, right? Where is that? It's not here at all. This is just so perverted. It's perverse and perverted. And so what you're saying is there's no remedy for the problem. I mean, look, this, you know, we had Ash Wednesday services here last night. There was an aspect of what he's that's saying in that last little part that I preached last night. Return to the Lord. Right. Right. But when you return to the Lord, you find out that he's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love. That doesn't sound like the God he's talking about. No, this is a God who's stingy with his stuff, right? Yeah, with his voices. Um, I I mean, he he points out the fact that you're a sinner, but yet he doesn't do anything about it. He looks at you and says, now go clean yourself up. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're a sinner, but I can take care of that. That's what the Lord that, is saying. That's what the Lord actually says. Yes, right, yes. Right. But, but what I can he's take saying, care of this. But he, what he's saying is, you're a sinner. Go get yourself cleaned up. Right. And be more passionate. And, and, and it, it, to me, that's a, um, you know, if, if I want to be, if I want to walk according to the Lord, that is to walk in pure faith, which I can never do, and frankly, to live a holy life. How do I know what the holy life is? Well, he spells it out in his Ten Commandments. I have a problem with that, too. So every time I try to creep toward the Lord, as you pointed out in the last night's sermon, all that happens is uh, it's not the Lord who, who, who gets bowled over by me. It's me who gets crushed. And what I need above all is, is the forgiveness of sins. And that's just totally let. This is just this is just awful stuff. It's heinous. It is. It's, a, it's an abomination. It, it is a horrible breach of the second commandment. This guy is using the Lord's name in vain, teaching falsehood in his name. As this gets listened to, there is no doubt that we, if someone listens this far into it, listens to how this sermon has progressed, there's no doubt that we are going to get an email or so that says, how dare we challenge what this pastor is saying? Because 
I had a situation in my life, and I raised my hand, and I got silent, and I spent some time meditating and thinking upon, and the Lord spoke to me. And he told me to do X, Y, Z, or what have you, and I did it, and I was extremely blessed because of it. I met my husband through it, or blah, 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 you know, some sort of evidence that that was indeed the Lord speaking to me, even though he doesn't sound like James Earl Jones. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And that's exactly what we're going to write back to you. Exactly. When you, when you write, yes, exactly. <laughs> Hebrews 11.1. 1. So you will hear from the Lord now, and you'll even read what the Lord says <laughs> about this very thing. And so my question for you is this. Do you belong to God? Does he own you? Is he your, are you his? And have you rejected God's control of your life? Those of you who have received him, those of you who have accepted him, have you rejected his control? Are you fighting him right now? Oh, bow your heads and close your eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Did you notice the progression that it takes to hear from God? I don't know about you, that's just how my mind thinks. There's a progression to hearing from God. First, what? We've got to believe that God is there. Right? You'll never hear from God unless you know He's with you all the time. He's there. And then the second step is you've got to know that God's talking to you. And then what? The third step is you've got to surrender the, His control. Whatever He's telling you to do, you've got to do it. You see that progression? That's how it takes to hear from God. Well, guess what? That's those same three steps is how you become a Christian. Those same three steps is how you get saved. Those same three steps is how you end up belonging to God. So do you believe that God's here right now? Now, that's a good question. Do you believe, Pastor Bruss, that God is there I would argue, and we've said this before, he's there in his omnipresence. But is he there salvifically? I would say that he is not, that, that, he, that his word has been so warped. So God is his word. Right. We cannot know him apart from his written word. And so if the word is so bastardized in this sermon as it has been, is he there? Is he talking about the God of Israel? He's no, not, no, I would, I would agree not. The God of Israel, because you and I would, you and I would agree, would we not, that the God of Israel doesn't go around uh, adopting the voice of James Earl Jones uh, to talk to me in my heart, uh, and in fact, that the God of Israel has revealed that his scriptures, his scriptures are all sufficient for everything that we need, both for this life and for the next. And to make matters worse, as you can hear, he's now moving into a heresy of getting the people to make decisions for Christ, a heresy that was fought through and eventually condemned hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Right. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, even even by Roman Catholics. Can we just talk another, just another thing about the all-sufficiency of God's written word? Again, the temptation of Jesus, Matthew chapter 5. Every answer that the Lord Jesus gives back to the devil is not, hold on a sec, I'm close to God the Father, because I am, after all, the Son of God. I'm going to wait for him to whisper something in my ear or in my heart or in my mind. 
He says, it is written, it is written, it is written. All from the book of Deuteronomy. All from the book of Deuteronomy, right? And the, and the point of this is, again, to go back to what we were saying before, that the word of God is all sufficient. This guy is pretending like, like the written word of God is a piece of chopped liver that has no value uh, for the life of the Christian. The real life of the Christian is the one that's lived by these little direct downloads, as you've been calling them, from, from the Lord himself in my heart. Do you believe that he's talking to you? You're saying, Randy, what's he saying? He's saying you're a sinner. He's saying that your sin has separated you from him. The reason why y'all aren't close is because of your sin and your disobedience. And he's saying that Jesus died for you because even though you're sinful, your very nature is sin, Jesus still loves you and he died for you and he rose again so that you might have life. But he's saying, you know what? You've got to ask for my salvation. You've got to ask for my control. You've got to ask for me to be Lord of your life. You've got to ask. And so I'm asking you right now, when was your moment? When was that time that you asked God to forgive you, that you asked God to save you, that you asked God to take control of your life? When have you called upon the name of the Lord? Because if you haven't, you're not saved. When was your moment? Because guess what? Right here, right now, you can have a moment. Right here, right now, this can be your time. This can be your day of salvation. You can look back 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, thousands of years from now while you are in heaven and say, today was the day that I gave up and gave over and let God take control of my life. You're saying, Randy, how do I call upon the name of the Lord? I don't know how to talk to Him. Well, in just a few seconds, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. If you'll pray this prayer with me to God, then you can be saved. You can be forgiven. He can become your Savior and your Lord. He can take control of your life. You're saying, Randy, do I need to pray it out loud? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I cannot believe that this man just said this. We've got to pray this out loud for some reason, as he'll go on to talk about how uh, if you don't do it, then the devil will come and mess with you. So we gotta we gotta confess it, we gotta say it out loud. But from here on out, for the rest of your life, just look within for God speaking to you. So you gotta do it out loud, but God's not gonna come and talk to you out loud. Now I want to commend him on something here. He he I think did a very nice job of proclaiming the law and gospel and talking about the sin of human beings and our the way that we've fallen short of the glory of God and the fact that Christ has died and risen again to redeem us from our sins. That was a wonderful proclamation of the gospel but again and it was good to hear people can come to faith through this the purpose for doing that is to, to start hearing God right right because the devil's going to do everything in his power to convince you that it didn't happen but here's what's going to happen there are going to be people all around you I'm asking every true Christian every believer to pray this prayer with me why so that you can encourage somebody else to make the most important decision of their life and so would you pray with me would you pray with me right now? Would you just pray? Okay, I'm not going to let him pray. I mean, we've already said that God is not there in his salvific work, so I'm not even sure who he's going to be praying to. Right. He doesn't get to pray for me, no. So, all right, so here's, here's the question that we'll conclude on. What would you say to somebody who can be duped by the same heretical 
slash demonic teaching. I would say go to a Lutheran church, learn the pattern of sound words. All the pieces are there, but the pattern of sound words is missing. And that pattern of sound words is just so beautifully set forth in the small catechism. We just listened to a sermon by a guy that went on for an hour. None of that was none of that was directly God's word written from the scriptures. And, and worse, it was not even the pattern of sound words. Come and learn the small catechism. Well, you just said it right there. When you have been taught incorrectly, when you've been taught unsound words, it takes time to learn sound words because you have to unlearn what you've been taught that you thought was sound, and it's not sound. It's not a switch that you can flip so easily. Especially for the evangelical, I would encourage you just to continue listening to what you have here. We're, we don't, we're not trying to get more and more people listening to us and that we become popular. We are trying to help those folks who are recognizing that something is wrong in the evangelical world and are wanting to protect themselves and guard themselves from ever continuing in that line of thought. And, and that's, again, why I think that uh, the place that they need to go is to a good Lutheran church. Uh, and, and here I'm talking about Missouri Synod, Wisconsin Synod, Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Stay away from the ELCA, the big modern church. Come to a Lutheran church and ask the pastor for catechesis. And so the idea here is, is to continue to listen, continue to think. There are other, there are other online resources for you. Uh, there's a podcast called Issues, Etc. Look that up. They've got hundreds and hundreds of different podcasts, um, some of which you're going to find uh, helpful for you right now and some of which are, are going to seem and not worth uh, your time. Don't worry about those ones. Uh, go for the ones that are helpful. Certainly the one that I cut my teeth on was Fighting for the Faith. But continue walking down this path. I'm reminded of Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. This is a King James Version. It says this, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. So, ask for the old ways. Absolutely, and realize that, that uh, what you're hearing in your evangelical church, really is not the old ways at all. Uh, this is this is a, an invention of only about a century old at, at the most, and it continues to grow sort of out of control like a cancer uh, and, and morph into different things all, all the time. And so you are not really looking at the old ways. It might seem that way, but it really isn't. You've got churches around you where... The faith is being practiced as it has been uh, since the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven. Find those churches. Well, Pastor Bruss, uh, you know, is your head about to explode? I mean, are you just beside yourself having listened to this? I am. I can't even believe that this stuff is out there. This has been um, a a revelation to me uh, in in the worst way possible. Uh, I feel so bad for the people who are listening to this, and I'm glad you brought it to, to our attention and and we, uh, we've got a lot of work to do, Pastor Kearns. Yes, we do. Until next time. The Lord be with you. You've been listening to the Plucked Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors John Bruss and Devin Kearns. 
discover more, go to thepluckedchicken.com or stjohnlcmstopeka.org.